Welcome to Sky Talkers. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey, everyone. I'm your other host, Caitlin, and welcome to the age of Andor. We are here recording about Andor, the TV show, episodes one, two, and three. And guys, do we have a tale for you? Do we have a story? (laughs) We're about to spin a tale. Okay. (laughs) Sit down. Grab a snack. (laughs) Right. Get ready. All right. So we are recording this specific episode that you're listening to on August 6th. So about a week and a half ago, Caitlin and I opened up our email inboxes and to our surprise, Disney sent us episodes one, two, three, and four to watch early. They're embargoed. Right now we cannot talk about that we've seen them in this time that we're on August 6th that we are recording this. You By now you know because you're listening to this. We have done roundtable interviews with some people from the cast and also participated in the press day press conference as well. So we've been living in the Andor world for a week and a half. Okay. But that <laughs> we've also been li- yeah, yeah. We've also been living in the Andor world even more so because when we got the screeners, it was before they changed the release dates to September 21st. And also (laughs) moved it so that there was three episodes instead of two that were releasing. So because Keelan and I really want to preserve the experience of watching episodes one and two, this is what we were previously doing, okay? Watching episodes one and two and then like having a week between like we thought would be the normal release schedule, not this three episodes at once thing on September 21st. We thought this was back in the August 31st release date. That world. That world. So Caitlin and I watched all four episodes. Yes, we have seen all four episodes. But the way that we recorded our episodes was one and two together. We recorded that, didn't watch three and four. Then we watched three, we recorded that, and then we watched four. And then in between that recording of three and four, Disney announced that they were moving it from August 31st to September 21st and doing all three episodes. So Caitlin and I have actually already recorded our reaction and discussion to episodes one, two, and three. However, there's only, there's one episode that's one and two and then one episode that's three. (laughs) So So I'm going to, yeah. Okay. So that happened a week and a half ago. And so when they changed that, we were like, well, we have to re-record it because we want to talk about all three together. I just think it makes more sense. But because those episodes exist, I'm going to put them on Patreon. So if you're on Patreon, you can listen to those and experience like <laughs> that sort of weirdness of us being like, don't know what we can say. <laughs> and also a lot of confusion because the trailer hadn't come out. Like, yeah, we had a lot to say. Well, we recorded so- those initial and or episodes in July. So it was like the very end of July, actually, when we recorded those episodes. And it's it's so funny because I in those episodes, the podcast episodes, we were like, who knows what the world will look like at the end of August? Like what will have happened? But then the joke was on us because in August they switched the release date. And yeah, the reason we had done it that way is because if you listen to Sky Talker is, you know, that we love speculation and we love the speculation about what comes next crazy theories things like that so when we got all four episodes at once we were like all right we as much as I want to just sit down and binge all four of these we need to take a step back just watch episodes one and two record sky talkers 
watch episode three, record Scott, so on and so forth. And yeah, those initial episodes are full of speculation, which is kind of <laughs> null and void now. <laughs> yeah. It's just so funny because we wanted desperately to just binge them all. Yeah. And then we were like, no, we're going to be really good because we want to preserve this like authenticity that we present on our show about, you know, watching it the same time as like the general release date. Yeah, we could have just binged. <laughs> Get it. It's okay. It's, it's fine. It's so funny. It's been very busy uh, here at Sky Talkers. So busy. So busy. So and so exciting. Oh, yeah. Like, it's it's literally so exciting. I cannot believe that we are here in August, early August. We've seen all four episodes that they've released of Andor. And it's crazy. I feel like we have this like little secret between Caitlin and I about like, we've seen these episodes. <laughs> <laughs> like the trailer dropped and I'm sure we I don't we never said this, but like I'm sure there are people who wanted us to do a trailer breakdown episode and it's like we can't. There's no possible way we can do that. I mean if you were wondering why we didn't do that, that's why we didn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. But by now, I'm sure that our roundtable interviews have come out and I'm sure I figured out a way to do something with the press conference that we witnessed um we we've we've been now steeped into the like public relations machine of andor and also have been spent have spent a lot of time thinking about this show and sort of really developing an opinion on it because as we'll probably talk about on this episode this show feels so radically different in a really positive way from a lot of the rest of the Star Wars television shows that we've gotten. We're finally at a point now in like the Disney Plus Star Wars television show era where we have multiple live action shows that all have a different look and feel and all feel uniquely Star Wars in their own way. And I think that back when it was only the Mandalorian and those that and like the Mandoverse, it was like, okay, so this is what Star Wars television looks like. And we had to keep reminding ourselves that no, there's other things that are coming that are going to feel really different and we're, are going to explore the Star Wars universe in a completely different way. And I think Andor, Obi-Wan Kenobi was, did also feel very different from the Mandoverse. It really did. But Andor feels radically different from these other shows in a really amazing way. I really, really enjoy this show. I think for Caitlin and I, when we watched that first episode, it was really like, whoa, this is a lot. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I don't really mean this in a negative way, but I do mean it in a way that it was like a jarring new world to enter, even as a Star Wars fan. And finally, by the end of that third episode, you're really in it. You sort of understand the dynamics at play. What Andor presents in terms of a world is sort of a, like a microcosm within the imperial structure as we know it so far. It presents like new terminology for um, like the corporation and things like that and really makes the wheels turn about timelines for at least for me, when I'm watching this show that was difficult for me to grasp onto in the first episode, which is honestly why when they made that announcement a couple days ago on August 1st that they were going to do these three episodes at once and dropping today on September 21st, it made so much sense. Caitlin and I were like, great, great move, great plan. Because for us, I think that episode three was like, we're in it. We're here. We're fully along for the ride. This was, for me, episode three was like one of the best episodes of 
Star Wars, anything that I've ever seen. And I felt like watching those all together was a really good arc. And I'm glad that they really, they did that release because I think that more people are probably going to feel a sense of wanting to continue more so than just one and two. Before Andor came out and before we even had the screeners, I think there was a lot of discussion about the arcs that were going to be present. Like we knew that season one was going to be 12 episodes. And I think Tony Gilroy had talked about it being like very kind of set arcs, but I don't think we initially knew how many episodes would be included in each arc. Like if it would be four episodes equals one story arc or three episodes equals one story arc. So when we got episodes one through four in the screeners, I kind of thought at first, oh, maybe they're giving us like the first full arc. And then I realized, no, they're not doing that. They're going to leave us on a really big cliffhanger that we have to wait for. So that's great. (laughs) But episodes one and two and three are like such a clear, distinct story arc to the point where to it like it almost doesn't matter that Charlotte and I have seen episode four. Um, and that's kind of all I'll say totally. about that. Uh, yeah. But again, like, I guess just like a disclaimer, we have seen episode four, but I really don't think it's going to come into this conversation. And to be fair, we really did try to prevent this exact situation happening. Like the only way we knew how. We tried so hard. We tried really hard. Um, (laughs) But it is what it is. And like Charlotte said, I actually do think that the switching it to September 21st, or maybe not September 21st, but switching it to uh, all three episodes first. (laughs) Because we didn't have to wait three weeks. Now, Charlotte, it's basically going to be October before we see a new episode. I can't. I, I can't. <laughs> and again, like literally reminder, two months from now. It's August 6th <laughs> right now. But uh, if you, you know, if you are on Patreon and you listen to those first uh, recordings that we did for episodes one and two, Charlotte and I both were just really overwhelmed by this world. And it was all good, but it was so much. And even as a hardcore Star Wars fan, it was like, where am I? Like, what are these names? What are these places? Where are we going? Oh my gosh. Like you're, they're moving so fast. And like taking a lot of notes, like yeah. mentally and physically. Honestly. Yeah. And, uh, it's very expository, the first two episodes. And it kind of has to be because we already know, I think I saw today, maybe that they're like, they've already started production on season two at this point. Um, in fact, uh, in the press conference, I'm pretty sure Tony Gilroy was talking about, he was just at Pinewood for production on season two that he talked yeah. about in that press conference. So I'm sure maybe at this point in September, we already have more news about that. But You know that Tony Gilroy has been very clear about laying out a very, um, like everything is pretty much laid out, it feels like, for this story, these plot lines, these characters in across these two seasons, across, what, 24 episodes, right? And so it makes sense to have these first two episodes be kind of so expository and like really laying a detailed groundwork for kind of like the home base where the the origin point, the center point for where all of our characters are kind of coming back to and, and sprawling out from. And But on first watch, it's super overwhelming because I think it's really different, like you were saying, Charlotte, compared to kind of our other live action shows where, you know, we have you know, they're all named after a character and they're all really focused on that character. And of course, Andor is too, right? Andor is called Andor for Cassian, just like Obi-Wan Kenobi. 
Book of Boba Fett, the Mandalorian, right? Like it does fall into that theme, but Andor feels very different from that in the sense that I feel like we're kind of equally introduced to a lot of different characters that are going to be major players in this story, even while Cassian is still, of course, our lead, our, you know, main character number one, right? But yes, episodes one and two, I felt on first watch, I gave them an eight out of 10 um, on our first watch because while they were very expository and I, of course I think they were great, it was super overwhelming and it took honestly like a third watch <laughs> to really kind of feel like I knew what was going on or, or honestly was just like kind of internalizing the names of places and of different characters and stuff. But then episode three, Oh my God, the first time I watched episode three and Charlotte too, we were just completely blown away. And I think it's because we had those first two, like I said, pretty exposition heavy, in my opinion, episodes that the momentum that was built for all of that into episode three just like exploded off the screen. And it was like a very action heavy, I would say like pretty plot heavy episode, but it also hit such strong emotional beats because of everything that was laid out in episodes one and two. And yeah, like Charlotte said too, episode three is like a 10 out of 10, a 15 out of 10 for me, I think is what we both rated it <laughs> when we first saw it. And yeah, yeah I yeah. just think that the the choice to make it all three episodes at once was a really smart one because even in between you and I watching episodes one and two recording and then episode three it, it kind of I don't know it kind of felt like a little bit like no man's land in a way I don't really know how to describe it but it was like okay like what exactly is going to happen like of course we knew some of these story plots that were in motion right um but putting them all together I remember when after we finished it thinking wow like I I clearly see this arc throughout these three episodes and it makes so much sense it's so contained and then also serves as a great springboard for a lot of things moving into the rest of the season. So I think it was absolutely the right decision to make it episodes one through three for the premiere. Was it the right decision for September 21st? Right now, August 6th? I don't think so, but... <laughs> that's but maybe just... they needed more time for other other things, like yeah. unfinished effects or something, and maybe which they we did. don't know. Yeah, we have no idea, but yeah, that October end of September is looking real far away right now. And I'm super excited to see what comes next. But yeah, I think, yeah, just to close it out, the change of date was perfect. And I think hopefully once you've seen all three episodes, you kind of agree because man, how great would it be to just like sit down and watch all three episodes at once for the first time? I think it would be just beautiful, honestly, especially thinking about the last what three five minutes of episode three that just kind of that music oh swelling it just oh my god I the juxtaposition it, everything is so perfect it is <sighs> so good from from the speeder escape to the end of that episode to me it is mm -hmm. like full body chills that like frisian effect of like I definitely cry at the end of it oh, it's yeah. just so beautifully composed I also think that the pacing and the world building, even though, Caitlin, you talked about how it was pretty expository in a sense, I still think it was really strong. And I, even though it took a second to settle in, I, I think that's okay because what they presented to us is basically like three planets, right? Three locations in 
this in these three episodes and all of them are distinct enough different enough and i actually i understood the difference with them the only thing that i didn't fully understand was the concept of like the corporation and how that interacts with the the empire yeah but that's okay like we can figure that out ourselves and just the understanding that ferrix is uh free trade and then morlana one is a corporate zone i think that we cognitively can understand the difference between those um especially in the star wars universe where free trade equals good and i feel like that settled us into a familiar territory of what we can establish as like good versus evil in star wars on like the most basic terms even though i feel like we can understand that what we're being presented is going to be a more layered understanding of how the empire is working working up towards the death star in all the press that we've been doing, there has been a lot of mention about how uh, this series really is in conversation, as it should be, with Rogue One and like that peak of the Empire when it gets taken down by the by the rebellion. And what the, the, what happens in my brain is in Caitlin's too is we constantly are thinking about how this interacts with other pieces of canon <laughs> and and rebels and the, the concept of like splinter groups and where we're going to see Cassian um, join up with the rebellion and how long that takes, right? And also the reintroduction of the BBY timeline is really interesting, especially on the screen. Um, I know it's been used frequently, especially recently, but I still think it's interesting to see that on screen. And I also think that it's important for us to think about all the different ways that this parallels uh, Rogue One character wise and also like how this serves as a prequel to that movie specifically. And I think that the tone that is established here is uh, a lot more sprawling than what we get in Rogue One. I think Caitlin mentioned that, that there's like a lot of characters and a lot of things to keep in your head. <laughs> and I think in the Vanity Fair article that was released in May, Tony Gilroy was really forthcoming about the series. And it was the most forthcoming I've ever heard anyone about Star Wars be, um, which is really interesting. I actually really enjoy his commentary on Star Wars and this series as a whole because he's really forthcoming and like not afraid of spoilers and is just like no this is what it is <laughs> we're gonna have a couple different arcs and then season two is gonna each be each arc is gonna be a year and very much like okay that's what we're that's what we need to expect and after watching the show i understand why he is allowed to be like that because there needs to be a sense of place established and like i think that it was very we we understood from reading that Vanity Fair article that like, okay, the first three episodes are going to be an arc. I think that even, I have a quote. He said, our show starts with a very simple, almost film noir situation for a thief. A skeevy kind of guy gets in big trouble, tries to sell something to save his ass, Gilroy reveals. A rebel talent scout has been watching him with interest and he's sort of recruited on the worst day of his life. On episode four, we leave there and we begin to expand out. It's like, okay. We, we get it. On episode four, we're going to expand out from this arc that is presented in the first three episodes. I don't know. I feel like it's worth mentioning that he's just been very much like, this is what you need to expect. And yeah, the skeevy kind of guy does get in big trouble. That skeevy kind of guy is Cassian. And I think that's where we should start. I feel like we should start diving into Cassian as a character and how we met him in the series versus how we met him in Rogue One. Caitlin, what are your thoughts on Cassian, one of your favorite Star Wars characters? I love him. I love him so much. <laughs> I love Cassian. Yeah, I think that they, I think that 
Diego and Tony have talked a lot about Cassian in this time period and that it was important to kind of roll the clock back on Cassian and kind of see who he is in this time period and how he changes to become who we meet in Rogue One and what kind of person becomes the kind of person who can lay some lay everything on the line, lay something on the line, lay everything on the line, his life. And I think that this uh, these first three episodes were a great introduction, reintroduction to Cassian and to who he was. And I think one of the most exciting things or kind of, um, I guess, like Twitter trending topics would be that his name is not actually Cassian or his original name, his birth name. It's Casa. And I remember watching that the first time and being really surprised. I don't know. I didn't expect that. And finding out that Cassian's real name is actually Casa and that he comes from this different planet called Canari, I thought was a really, um, it really matched into what Tony and Diego have been saying about Cassian and these themes that they've been talking about in the press about, you know, Diego's talked a ton about like the migrant story and a people who are forced to move, who have to leave a certain place when it's not by choice. And I think as we've seen Casa's story on Canari in these flashbacks, we really see this played out and that even in the present, Cassian being forced to leave Ferrix, not really having that much of a choice in it you know it's kind of life or death um it i thought it was a really like the parallels that are presented in episode three between you know what happens on canari and then the present day with cassian and luthan i thought it was just so well done and i think really kind of laid out who cassian is and this weight that he carries with him and this mission that we see him on in the very first episode of looking for his sister which again was so great. I don't know. I'm excited to to see this part of Cassian that is still longing for his family, for his sister. Um, if she's still alive, if she's not, we we don't really know at this point what has happened on Canari since he was taken uh, by Marva when he was a child. So I think it's going to be. I hope this is something we carry throughout the series and I hope it does come to some resolution. Hope I don't know if I can say a happy ending because I don't really know what's a happy ending <laughs> for Cassian at this juncture in his life. <laughs> but um, yeah, it's something that I was really excited uh, to see that Cassian was doing. But kind of bringing it back to episode one, uh, this this situation that Cassian is in where he is asking about his sister and it puts him in a very similar situation to what we see him in in the first episode in the first episode the first scenes of Rogue One I don't know it, I feel like it's been a while since we've told this story or like my obsession with Cassian but in the months leading up to Rogue One Charlotte can attest I was like so sure that Cassian was going to be like this heart of gold character the surest like literally oh so sure it's it is so funny the hill I would <laughs> I would have died on and we were talking we were speculating about Rogue One and Cassian and Jin and I was like Jin is gonna be so you know apathetic or just not pro-rebellion and Cassian's gonna like give her hope and show her the light and like then it's gonna like turn it around and then she's gonna become the hero yada 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 blah 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 and um yeah so sitting in the theater first scene with Cassian I was literally so excited to see Cassian on screen and then he kills a guy his informant his ally and Charlotte was like really 
trying to keep it in, like from laughing, sitting next to me in the theater. <laughs> it was so <laughs> funny. I look over to her and I'm like, uh-huh. Pure yeah, heart of gold. Like <laughs> completely what a plot twist. And yeah. I'm still that kind of speculator today. Just constantly <laughs> throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what will stick. <laughs> But I thought it was so clever, such a great storytelling device to have this situation basically paralleled for Cassian in this first episode. And I thought it was really cool, too, that we see effectively the same outcome for Cassian in the past in in Andor that we saw in Rogue One. Someone ends up dead. Two people end up dead. One of them, you know, Cassian, I don't think Cassian had the intent of killing that first security officer, but he certainly did that second one. And he didn't hesitate, which is the same thing that happens in Rogue One. But I think because of the kind of performer that Diego Luna is, you can see the differences between those two scenes. Cassian in Andor on Pax Merlana, Merlana One. I've talked so much about these places and I still, it's hard for me to remember the name of this company planet, (laughs) but Merlana One. In this situation, you can see that Cassian doesn't like this situation he's been put in. He doesn't know what to do, but he knows that he has to survive and he knows that he um, can't get caught in what's happening right now. And so he kills the other security officer and flees. It's a very, what I would call a very selfish decision on Cassie. And it's very focused on him and what his needs are. He even tells Bix later on in the episode, um, you know, I wasn't looking for a fight. I just, they shook me down. I had to get out of there, you know, whereas in Rogue One, I think you could maybe still call it a selfish decision what Cassian does, but Cassian would say that he's full in for the rebellion, I think, in that moment and that he can't be held back because this information is too important for the rebellion to have. And he's the only one that can bring it to them. And to keep that guy with him is basically like a a suicide mission, I think, at that point. But I don't know. I thought it was such a, a great choice to kind of be reintroduced to Cassian in a similar situation. And again, the outcome is the same, which I I really love that choice. But you can see how Cassian is a different person in each of these scenarios. I would argue that the outcome isn't the same because I think that we understand that Cassian is secure in his place in the rebellion, even though the rebellion that we know in Rogue One is... A little fractured. They still argue. Like we're presented with that information, right? And it's not until they all come together for the Scarif mission. um, And that is kind of done with uh, like behind closed doors, right? But at the same time, I I would say that Cassian's not wanted for murder after killing that one guy in Rogue One. But in this series, the first thing that happens is Cassian is like it's just like uh, Tony said, it's his worst day of his life. He's literally wanted for murder. His mom finds out. It's all these things are his past is like coming to the surface somehow. All these things are making him feel very insecure. And I don't think that the outcome, like I think the outcome of someone dying is the same. And that's probably what you meant. But I think that the the situation is that Cassian does not feel secure even after leaving with Luthen. I think that there's a sense of hesitancy at the end of those that uh, the the third episode that I think is really interesting. At the end of episode three, you you have a sense of hope when you see the sunrise and the suns the sunrise coming up over in the flashback from when Casa is a child and he's leaving with Marva and another man and. 
then you get the scene of uh, Cassian looking sort of hesitant to leave with Luthen. But you get a sense of, okay, now he's on a, a different... We know, because we know where his story ends up, that this is probably the path that needs to happen in order for him to get to where he is in Rogue One to feel secure in the rebellion. I think that the purpose of paralleling those two murders that happen is that Cassian knows exactly what he is doing in Rogue One, but doesn't actually know what he's doing in like with his life at all <laughs> in the beginning of Andor. Yeah, I'd say that the outcome being the same is the outcome that Cassian made the choice to kill someone, I guess is right. probably what I should have said. Not that the general outcome is the same, but rather yeah, yeah. that in each instance, Cassian makes the choice to take someone's life. But the motivations obviously are very different in each scene. But I think you can look at a show like Andor and hear that, you know, Cassian, it's five years before the rebellion or before Rogue One, Cassian's in very different headspace. And I think you might almost expect him not to be the kind of person that consensuslessly uh, or kind of in a moment take someone else's life. Um, if you're someone like me who even originally thought he had a heart of gold, <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, it's like he can still make that kind of choice that he needs to in an instant because he's here for survival. And it was surprising, I think, even in Andor, just like it was in Rogue One, but for different reasons. I think once the other security guards started pleading with him, I kind of knew it was over, but yeah, it was still, I don't think I was really putting it together, even as we were watching the scene, that it was going to purposely be this same kind of situation, this this explicit of a parallel to Rogue One. And what I also think is interesting is that I would say my interpretation of both of those scenes of at the end of episode three with uh, Casa and Marva leaving Canari and then Cassian and Luthen leaving Ferrix is that the sun was actually setting, not rising. And it's like... For oh, me, I was like, it's the closing of a chapter. You know, Cassian, yeah, Casa is no longer Casa. This is marking a new chapter for him, um, unwillingly, that he, you know, obviously didn't choose to leave Canari uh, back when he was a child. And yeah, that the sun is setting now too. And both times, yeah, he's he's got that like hesitant look that you talked about. And especially, I'm sure, as you know, in the flashback, he has no idea what's going on. And I would even theorize that perhaps he's never left Canari at that point in his life but then yeah on Ferrix it's that what is like what is in store for me now kind of thing it's very hesitant to me yeah it felt like the sun was setting especially at the end of episode three it's the end of this arc of these first three episodes kind of closing the chapter I also think that it's been daylight um like <laughs> we've seen gone over the course of the day and the episode so, but I also don't know how like time and sunrise and sunsets works on any right. of these planets. So, <laughs> and we know that in Star Wars, that can be important. So, <laughs> but they're also, we do see a night, right? Cause we see Bix waking up and asking for calf in the morning yeah. when she's at Tim's house. Yeah. So there's that. I also, okay. So let's take a moment to talk about Canari. Okay. Um, when Caitlin and I first watched these episodes, we were like, okay, so what's the deal here? And then it's not until the the third episode that it's revealed that a mining accident happened on Canari, uh, Cassian's original planet that he is from. And what the show does is it establishes that these children are alone for some reason. And we don't really know that reason until, like I said, episode three. I think we can tell, actually, I should have been a little bit more observant <laughs> when Casa is 
overlooking that like huge gorge where there's clearly an accident that happened. Um, and then you have the crash of the ship and the people who come out of the ship have like yellowing skin that looks like sickly and clearly they're exposed to something toxic. And for some reason, the kids are not exposed to that. So we are presented with the sort of Lord of the Flies situation, um, which is really interesting. And it took me a second to kind of like settle into that and realize that, wow, Cassian has experienced a lot of trauma as a child. And I don't even know how deep that goes, right? Like that's what I'm inferring from the three episodes that we've gotten. But who knows what actually happened? My pet theory was that they were mining Kyber for the Death Star um, before, because the way that Caitlin and I figured this out, <laughs> the where this takes place is before Order sixty six, before the rise of the Empire, and what this could possibly be is what 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 were we talking about, Caitlin? Help me out here. In our first recording, we had only seen episodes one and two. So in episode three, we actually get kind of the I guess the the Wikipedia about Canary, which I think was really helpful for the audience to have. Um, and what they say is that Canary is a mid-rim planet that was destroyed by an, by an imperial mining accident that left the whole planet toxic and apparently uninhabitable. And that man at the counter where Cassian is kind of getting a ride or wanting to get transport says uh, it was mining, everyone died, abandoned after imperial mining disaster, abandoned and considered toxic, imperial prohibition, which I think is an interesting, I don't really know what imperial prohibition means but charlotte and i were talking about if like what exactly is the timeline here because you know it's very confusing to me and honestly i usually only remember like when we're talking about years in star wars i'm kind of like i know luke and leia 19 years a new hope <laughs> you know like revenge of the sith between a new hope 19 years and that's kind of what is I think cemented, that's most people though right and and that's where I stay too so I think that like this with with Cassian and his story in Andor and then Rogue One of course we have Rebels now we have Obi-Wan Kenobi with like little Leia and then Casa now in the past it starts to get it's a lot of you know we're in the same timeline but it's kind of confusing but you and I were talking about if what happened on Canari was Imperial was it Republic? Was it Separatist, perhaps? And I think we're kind of clued in, you know, once we get to episode three, that it actually is Republic era that everything is happening on Canari. And if this is like Palpatine is overseeing what's going on on Canari, of course, this is with this that could roll into the Empire's goals after Order 66 because mm -hmm. um, in episode three, Marva is told that the Republic forget, I think. Great. We love a good use of the word forget. We love, we do. <laughs> we really do love the word forget. <laughs> We've loved it for years. years. We'll love it not? forever. Okay. I think we all, yeah. <laughs> we all love the word forget. That medical forget. The, mm -hmm. So the Republic forget is coming onto Canari when Marva chooses to uh, take Casa from Canari. And yeah, I think it was kind of I'm glad that they kind of had that reference point for audiences, people like us who are kind of interested in that timeline. And because this is going to be such a political show, I think it is important to have that marker that um, because that's what they always talk about with the Clone Wars. I remember Dave kind of spelling this out during the show, too, of like. Palpatine is the puppet master and it's a war for nothing because he's controlling both sides. And so it almost doesn't matter if it was separatist or Republic. Uh, and to be right. fair, we don't even know if it was the Republic that 
did the mining on Canary. We just know that a Republic frigate was incoming and that mm-hmm. it was a Republic ship that crashed. So they could have been there, you know, for aid or, or something like that or testing. Who knows, right? But it feels like right now, at least, uh, where we are in the story, that it would be safe to say that it was Republic who were on the planet and were doing something on the planet, some testing. But yeah, I really liked your Kyber theory because I think it rolled in nicely into Rogue One about the mining there that they were doing on Jetta in Rogue One. But yeah, it wasn't until really episode three that I think I finally clued into the fact that there were only kids on Canary. I think I was just like, everything was moving so fast the first time I was watching these episodes that I I didn't initially pick up on the fact that it was only kids <laughs> that were there. But yeah, I think the theory you and I had kind of talked about was that whatever happened, the mining disaster, if it's right, there are toxins in the air that people can't survive. But maybe because these kids have been born into this environment, they were kind of immune to this toxic, this toxin affecting them the way it did other people and like Marva and her partner and then those Republic people who had the like yellowing skin and everything like that. So if the kids survived whatever the accident was, then they're on their own. Like you said, the Lord of the Flies thing. But now who knows what's going to happen to all of the kids that have been left behind. But you actually had a really good theory and discussion. I wouldn't even say it's a theory, but discussion about the name Canari for the planet. Yeah. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to talk about was the first time I heard the word Canari, it made me think of Canary. And then I, then the more the story sort of um, unfurled itself and we landed on the fact that Canari was a mining planet. It made a lot of sense to me because of the phrase, the illusion of a canary in a coal mine. And a long time ago, when coal miners would go down into the mines, they would bring a caged canary down there because the canary would react to the carbon monoxide in the air to make sure that it was safe for the miners to mine. And then the canary would die and they it would die first before it affected humans and so then the the miners would then know to leave because it wasn't safe the air was not safe to breathe but what a canary in the coal mine means in sort of like an uh, analogy or metaphor is a warning for danger so it's really interesting to me that Cassian is from a planet called Canari that's a mining planet and it's I don't know in which way is the canar is canari a warning for danger, an early warning for danger, and how is Cassian an early warning for danger? I think that there's these all these things that we can think of, and that's kind of why I thought that it could potentially be something that has to do with the Death Star that they were mining, or something that has to do with the Empire that would have potentially clued into the fact that the Empire was building the super weapon of the Death Star, but the uh, the the system collapsed so the mining disaster happened but i also think that perhaps cassian could also be the canary in a coal mine the warning for danger uh somehow and maybe all of the rogue one crew are also the canaries in the coal mine there for uh warnings for danger in terms of helping find the plans and showing how powerful the Death Star can be by blowing up a you know single reactor and how it could potentially be 
really deadly. I don't know. There's a lot of ways that you can push that, but I think that it's very, again, Star Wars is nothing if not obvious, like very obvious with their titles. So I feel like this is actually exactly what they were going for. It's just how exactly were they, what did they mean by it is worth exploring, I think. Yeah, I think that it's you we should be talking about the canary in the coal mine in the coal mine right <laughs> although i have to say you and i were laughing too because uh cassian original name being casa was like c erasure like the letter c erasure and as you and i both have names that start with c it was like oh man lost another good one <laughs> <laughs> what's funny is that is that when Cassian was from this planet Canari, this is, I think this is a good time to mention this. It was like, wow, they're really not going with what was in the visual dictionary for Rogue One for Cassian's character at all. They're just yeah. completely rewriting that. They're not doing that. And we were, Kayla and I were like, we're both like, that's fine. Doesn't matter. It's fine. But I think that's why we knew that Cassian had a, a sister because it was somewhere in some book, something. Yeah. And then it's funny because in episode, I can't remember if it's two or three. In three. Uh, it's yeah they it, they confirmed they that, like, on every document we put fast <laughs> like that's your you're from fast you know and we were like wow <laughs> they actually are going for the visual dictionary they're just building it meaning that that was like the official record and now we're seeing everything that's like unofficial yeah and I thought that was pretty cool yeah I thought so too kind of thinking a little bit more about Canary and I guess like its role in the galaxy a little bit you and I are always talking about how people know what they know in the galaxy and it's very clear that Canary has been kind of forgotten about. It's like no one knows about it. No one's ever really heard of Canary. And if they have, they don't know much about it or know anyone from that planet because it's like its history has kind of been expunged or it's not like easily accessible, right? Like that guy at the counter had to look it up, um, but no one else knew about it. And if Canary was this, like, if we're going to assume that it was the Republic, aka Palpatine, who was running this um, mining facility there on Canary, or even if it was the Separatists too, right? And there's this this um, explosion, this accident that happens that kills everyone there. Um, he, like, no one comes to help those people. No one comes to see what's happened to the planet. Like, I think in Clone Wars, we saw the Jedi, the Republic, talk about, like, humanitarian efforts on certain planets and stuff like that. And, I mean, maybe that's what was happening with that Republic ship that was coming down, but maybe not. It felt like those kids had been there on their own for a long time to the point where they were protective of each other and of people who were coming onto the planet to the point to like go and investigate what was happening with that ship that crashed. You know what I mean? So what could have been a signal to the galaxy that something evil was happening, whether through the Republic or through the separatists was kind of um, forgotten about and not talked about. And so it's like, that was kind of a, that could have been a first indicator of what was coming for the future, but it was squashed down. And so Cassian, Casa, coming from Canary kind of makes sense. It's like he's one of the, he's a, a type of Canary that survived um, and is now going to be the tool for change in the rebellion's plans and against the empire. It, he is going to be part of the team that is the catalyst 
for the rebellion's eventual success against the empire. So yeah, like you said, Star Wars is not often so subtle with its name. So I think um, canary to canary, <laughs> that's what we're supposed to be talking about here. So it will be interesting right. to see more of what Cassian does throughout the rest of the series. And even thinking about other players in our show, like Mon Mothma and Bix and Luthen and how all of these people are going uh, to affect their communities and the things that they're going to talk about that make them dangerous people. And even thinking about Cassian's role on Ferrix, and I think they've talked about how Ferrix is going to be kind of like a home base, like the world building they've done on Ferrix alone. Uh, I think Tony said in the press conference that it's an eight and a half acre set and it's Insane. like a fully <laughs> built city. Like Ferrix is real basically. And uh, Audria, the actress who plays Bix, I can't think of her last name right now. She was talking in the press conference about how she would ask like the director and the cameraman, like which way she needed to run for a specific scene or like what building she needed to run to. And they would say, do whatever you want. Like everything is filmable, like do what feels natural. The camera will follow you basically, which I think is incredible. <laughs> it's so cool. Yeah, so I imagine that we'll be coming back to Ferrix. I think they've talked about that as like a home base. And even like Marva Cassian's, um, the woman that people assume is Cassian's mother, uh, talking about, you know, the sound of a reckoning. All of this kind of starting in Ferrix feels very intentional and that there is going to be more happening on Ferrix in the future. So I think that... You know, like we know that Cassian has left Ferrix for now, but I imagine that he will be coming back. And we know that Bix is involved on some level with the rebellion and with Luthen, whatever it's kind of calling itself right now. And now that the entire community has seen like the corporation, the company authority, and the damage that they've caused, you know. Things are happening. There are cracks in in the life that they new. You know what I mean? Like you can't go back from everything that's happened in these first three episodes. And so I think things are going to be rapidly changing um, for Cassian and where he goes next, but then also for what the community on Ferrix chooses to do next and what kind of ramifications uh, come to them after, you know, what happens with the company authority and what happens to the company too, because Cyril went against orders in what he did on Ferrix. So things are coming for him too, I'm sure. Yeah. Okay. So before we talk about Cyril, I think we should also talk a little bit more about Bix as a character and the characters that we met on Ferrix. So we know Marva and I don't think we said enough that yes, Cassian was taken from Canari by Marva and her partner who we can assume can is the, is the man who was hung that uh, Luthen referenced as as Cassian's father. I, th I think we can assume that. Oh, maybe we can be proven wrong by that. But it's clear that Marva loves Cassian, and also Cassian loves Marva too. That that heartbreaking, calm discussion with B two. Oh my God, we haven't even talked about B two. There's so much. Oh my God, there's so much. There's so much. Okay. Um, and just I think that it's. It's just, just to me, the characters I like, right, who are good, I think are Marva, B2, <laughs> Bix. I can't believe Tim is dead. Okay. Oh I went through gosh. a roller coaster of emotions he with really Tim. 
roller coaster. It was like, I don't like this guy. He's like so snoopy. I don't like this. And yeah, he ratted Cassian out and we don't like that. And just like Bix, we can be mad at Tim, but did Tim deserve to die? No, he was just a little suspicious. It's clear that... Yeah. Yeah. Tim with two M's. Uh, Yeah. What is up with that? (laughs) The fact that Bix and Cassian clearly have a past and a history. So like it does make sense that Tim was a little jealous slash suspicious about what was happening there. And upon a couple of watches, um, Cassian even saying uh, like, oh, I haven't been to this bar in a while. It was clear that that was like something that Bix and him used to go to together. And then just I picked up on the conversations that uh, the mentions of Bix to Marva and Marva being like, what does she have to do with all this? Like, why is she involved? Something like that, which I think is really interesting. And I know that there's some history there that I'm excited to dive into. I think that's the thing about this show is that there's everyone has a really intricate history. And because what Tony Gilroy has described as a Dickensian cast of like 200 different people that all have an important role to play. Everyone clearly has a really rich backstory. And Mm -hmm. it's really interesting to me that it all will fit together, even if these characters like don't necessarily meet, Um, you know, Cassian's friend in that shipyard, you, you feel for him because he covered for Cassian's uh, ass, I guess (laughs) when he was, he was uh, looking for his sister and, I, you know, I never finished that thought that I was saying before, but when Marva takes Cassian from Canari, you can feel sort of angry at the concept of her taking him away from his sister, the family that he had established on Canari, that life that they were living. But it's true that we witnessed about 15 minutes before the kids get picked off one by one by people with guns when they were trying to raid that crashed ship right so I do think Marva was correct in that the only way to save Cassian at that point since he had wandered away from the group was to take him and I'm sure that Cassian also has a lot of emotions like pent up about that situation about the fact that he was taken to the point where he can't even tell Marva that he went to go look for his sister and I think there's a lot there and a lot to be discussed um but I'm, I'm, I think I'm really grateful for these really complicated relationships that are established and the fact that we can have and hold these complicated feelings towards the situation on Canari and also what we see later in the future in Cassian's home in his bedroom that is clearly his childhood bedroom with Marva. And we can see how like sort of tender that is when Marva sees that room and is witnessing that room and then later when that room is kind of turned upside down we're sad for that because that represents like a a breaking of the past I suppose and like safety and you have to wonder what Marva's past was even like and the fact that people in the town were like she's only she's an old woman like how dare you you know destroy her house and there the mob was forming outside and just I think what you were talking about, Caitlin, is what was established in this town and this planet of Ferrix is so interesting to me because they clearly had a system to rise against the corporation. They wanted to maintain that sort of free trade standing and that all the clanging and everything, It, I think on the surface, it's like, get out of our way. Do not control us. Do not instill your fascist values on this planet, but also 
you have to wonder like, okay, so wh- who are Bix's connections with the rebellion and like, what was she listening to and how deep does it go? You know? And I think that it's clear that Bix's conversation with Luthen, they've been watching him and wanting to recruit him. And I can't wait to see where that goes. And I do trust Luthen. Um, and I think Stellan Skarsgård is just such an amazing actor that some of the things he says are just so interesting his lines are so good the the line don't you want to fight these bastards for real it gives me chills is so good the way he says cassian Andor ander's name he says ander so great yeah er it's not even er to me it's a n d apostrophe r it's just great yeah it's clear that he has an agenda but that agenda i think that it comes from the place of the rebellion i guess we'll see but i also need to mention this is probably a good place to do it that the visual effects and the staging of Luthen and Cassian's conversation in that warehouse and then the the cascading collapsing uh, locks all over that building was some of the best action I've seen in Star Wars in forever. Like it was so gripping to me. I thought it was so brilliant and I just I need to know how they did that how much of it was practical, what wasn't, and was that an actual set? Like, I need to know everything about that scene because I've never been, I haven't been captivated by an action scene like that in so long. It was so well set. I don't know. And then also, and I know I'm like on a little bit of a tie right here, but um, I thought that the box that Cassian had as like leverage that Luthen was interested in, but not that interested in um, being left behind was really interesting because I really thought that that was like a, a MacGuffin, if you will, where it like doesn't really matter. And I still think it doesn't really matter, but it's interesting that it was left behind. So I guess we'll see what happens with that. Um, because what happened was, you know, Luthen was there to meet meet him for the box. And then in the end of it, the box ended up not really mattering because Luthen was there for Cassian. And that's even what that guy on that ship when they were landing, when Luthen was landing on Ferrix was saying that if you, we are going to find what you need here and if you can't if you can't find it then it's not worth it something like that I'm paraphrasing and Tony Gilroy wrote a much better script than I just said <laughs> but uh yeah I I just think the world of Ferrix the clanging the reckoning the whole thing was just so brilliant and really just fully sold me on the series and I think they knew it was a good line and in a good situation because they used it in the that teaser that we watched a celebration. And it really delivered in a huge way. <laughs> yeah, I think episode three, it just blew me out of the water. Like the pacing of it, the storytelling, the action in it, it was all just top notch for me. And yeah, I was on my edge. I was on the edge of my seat the whole time. And especially that scene that you've been talking about with Cassian and Luthen and their whole conversation in there, it was just incredible. And then the action of the locks and, and everything like that. And I think you really see the beginnings of what I assume is going to be this mentor mentee relationship between Cassian and Luthen and Luthen's already kind of delivering these lessons to Cassian you know about always plan your exit upon your entrance and stuff like that that killed me (laughs) because I don't think that Cassian planned his exit in Rogue One it just how could he how could he but he still shows up at the end like when you think he died it was so like at true. that point, you remember even the the novelization talks about like after Cassian is shot in the when they're getting the plans and Jin thinks he's gone and 
I think like it, the book switches to Cassian's POV or something like that. And it's like, all he knew is he had to get to Jen. Like the exit didn't matter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> it's whatever. So it's fine. It really gets me. <laughs> totally fine. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that Tony Gilroy and Diego talked about this in the press conference too, about how Tony isn't as interested in like the black and white of like morality and I think of how we talk a lot about Star Wars oftentimes of the Empire the Rebellion you know even like Pel- like the Jedi the Sith like these very clear-cut lines and they talked a lot about how Tony was not interested in that story of this kind of in between this morally gray area but is it even morally gray or is it just like the reality of the situation and making difficult choices and I think that we're really seeing that for a lot of characters and just to kind of touch on Marva again I think she's kind of the perfect example of that in these first couple of episodes that I I don't think I would have expected necessarily for her to be that kind of symbol of that kind of morally gray. I don't even know if that's the right way to describe it, but her choice to take Casa from Canary, like you were talking about, Charlotte, it's like, and and we have no idea what happens after that, right? If like maybe they go back to Canary and everyone is gone there, everyone is taken, and that's what has sent Cassian on this trip to find his sister. But who knows what would have happened to to Cassian to Casa if he had stayed there too, right? Maybe and maybe they go back and he sees that a lot of his family there has died, and he would have too, or or maybe you know like maybe Marva's never taken him back. Like we have no idea what the next part of their story is. But we know that the choice that Marva made at that time, you know, on Canari was for her, it wasn't a difficult choice, right? For her, she was like, no, this is immediately what we need to do. We need to take him and save him. And her partner is the one who's like, no, like he has a family here. You have to leave him. And she's looking at this big picture of, no, they've just killed Republic representatives, soldiers, whatever they are. And that's not going to bode well for them. She has no idea that it's just this group of children here. For all she knows, it could be a whole army or community out there of like adults. You know what I mean? Like there's so much that she doesn't know, but she still makes this really seismic decision for Cassian's life. And maybe she didn't even realize how much it would that she and Cassie want to be together for his entire life at this point. And I, yeah, I'm, I'm so interested in the more of their relationship and the complications that exist there, because at this point, Cassian is old enough that he could have left Marva years ago for good, but for some reason he doesn't, he chooses not to. And maybe they'll get into that more. And like you said, he has this childhood bedroom that still has his weapon from Canari. And that ship that he kind of hides out on where B2 goes and talks to him, talks to him is the ship that we see at the very end of episode three that Marva and her partner and I've watched these episodes so many times and I still don't know if her partner has a name yet. <laughs> um, so I'm sorry if, he does, I don't think so. I don't and that's think like so. known right yeah. now. But I we haven't been able to pick up on a name if there has been one said. So I apologize if he does already have a name. But also our episodes, some of our episodes had subtitles available for them where we like watch the screeners and some of them didn't. So I always like to do the first watch with no subtitles and, and then every other watch after that. I'm a subtitle kind of girl. <laughs> 
and they haven't had subtitles. So <laughs> that's also been a little difficult, I think, just in like remembering names and planets and stuff. But you have to wonder what their relationship has been like in these past years. Like that ship, right, it was the ship. The ship that they take Cassian on is the ship that is presumably crashed or uh can't fly any longer that is still on Ferrix that Cassian is kind of using as like a hideout basically that B2 frequently finds him in and I think that that is meaningful like why Cassian would choose that ship to be where he hides important things because it is representative of kind of the last piece of Canari maybe he has like why hasn't Cassian gone back to Canari now that he's older I just think there's a lot there to unpack about their relationship and I thought it was really interesting that people in Ferrix refer to Marva as his mother and then Luthen even talks about his father who was killed but then Cassian talks to Marva and calls her Marva right there's I don't know. There's so many layers there. And what I'm sure is an extremely complicated relationship, especially once we start filling in more of the pieces of what happens to Cassian and Marva after she takes him from Canari. So and and all that to say is I really like the tone of the show and and how it's putting characters in these like really difficult places where they have to make these incredible decisions that are not inherently right or wrong, or it's not easy to say that they made the right choice or the wrong choice. It's, it's complicated. Totally. Let's talk about B2 because yeah. Star Wars never misses never. with a cute droid ever. And B2, the moment we see him, you just know that he's just the cutest boy and <laughs> <laughs> the bestest, chunkiest, like he's just the best. Okay. And yeah, though the fact that he's like old and like doesn't really remember some things and just kind of struggles, but is still like the family droid. I don't know. Is he's just the best? I I love him so much, and I think the design is perfect. I feel like the design definitely comes from a place of concept art from years ago, but I can't prove that. I just feel like I've seen that design before, and I love how B two is basically like the family dog. Um, and is just very attached to both Marva and Cassian. And I just love him. And also he's puppeteered slash voiced by one of the performers who um, performed BB-8. So you just know that you're in like cute territory <laughs> when, you, when you hire that. Um, and also just B2 EMO. You know, I think that I just get so emo when I think about B2. <laughs> So that's why his name is that. He's not like an emo droid, you know what I mean? But I also think it's cute that Cassian, I think, calls B2 baby. I could be wrong about that or BB or just B. It's regardless, it's really cute. And everything about B2, I love and I worry. I have to be honest, guys. I worry that we're going to deal with no. another tragic droid death in the same way that we dealt no. with K2 in the same way we've dealt with all three, just every single, I just, I, I no. feel like my heart is going to get broken. No. But one thing I do want to mention, and I know you probably want to talk about how much you love B2, but I feel like I have to mention this and get this off my tongue, <laughs> is in the press conference, Tony Gilroy mentioned that the show, there's nothing cynical about the show. And I just can't get that out of my head when I rewatch the episodes, because I think th that the show actually has a very adult theme, a much more, um, 
serious tone in it. Uh, I think the production quality is really high and it takes itself pretty seriously. And so for him to say that the show isn't cynical at all and the fact that we meet Cassian at such a cynical spot in his life, even to the point where Diego Luna said that at the at the press conference, like five minutes after <laughs> Tony Gilroy mentioned that about how the, there's nothing cynical about our show. And I can't get it out of my mind because I think that it's true that there is nothing cynical about this, but I'm going to have to keep reminding myself about that, especially when I make allusions to B2 and his fate <laughs> and things like that. And that the fact that the heart of the show, just like every Star Wars show, is hope and like anti-cynicism. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I, I wanted to throw that in there. Yeah, Tony's like, there's nothing cynical about our show. And then Tim with two M's dies. I know, I know, but I know. No, I but just like Star Wars, it, it there's that that spark of hope in the in the midst of it all. Yeah. I just think it's really interesting. I think we'll be expanding on his comment in the future for sure. Yeah, I think that I think it will come back ultimately to hope and that there's, you know. Cassian does the thing he gets ready to fight the bastards for real right and I think that that is that's the hopeful part that will come and I think that Diego said a couple of interesting things too in the press conference about like Cassian and the show in general that I think kind of fit in a little bit to what you were talking about with the cynicism or the cynical comment from Tony Gilroy and he says that from Cassian in this series he was interested in seeing Cassian as kind of the farthest version of himself from being a, a tool for change is the phrase that he used and that he wanted to see him go on this journey of eventually being the person in Rogue One um, and Diego who like again lays it all on the line and gives his life to the cause and Diego said that this gave him a lot of hope for like our world today and that people like you and me this is what he was saying that even though it feels like we could never be someone you know like Cassian or Jen or even like other people like you know Luke or the Mandalorian or Boba that are like really going out and um and like Obi-Wan and you know, doing these difficult, quote unquote, heroic things. But like Cassian was a person who only thought of himself and was only doing things for himself in, in like a really big way in a world that was kind of constantly against him or against him like existing, you know what I mean? And then he becomes this person who is in it and believes in something bigger than himself, even at the expense of doing things that are not necessarily morally right, which is a lot of what he talks about in Rogue One, too. And Diego also says um, the show is about people having to articulate a reaction to oppression, which I thought was a really great way to describe totally. the show too and I think is going to lead us throughout this entire series of how people yeah articulate a reaction to oppression and what that means for everyone in their specific station in life and within a community like Ferrix. I know in our first recording of this and we haven't really talked about it a ton in this episode but Ferrix is such an interesting planet not only is it you know, like this eight and a half acre series set, 360 set, I think is also how they described it. But 
everyone has like a role. Everyone has a place they're supposed to be, a job, like a day-to-day. And I think Tony Gilroy also talked about there being very intense rituals within like the day-to-day life in Ferrex. And I think we kind of see hints of that in these first three episodes with even like the clanging when there's danger, but then also like the the bell tower man um, in the who rings the bell, right? The bell tower man, him, <laughs> him, yes. yes, him. The bell very tower dramatic. Man. I love him. It's <laughs> great. Me too. But I don't know. I think like how all of those people end up, like if they all end up also being tools for change, even within this kind of community that is very ruled by just go in, get the paycheck, go out, have a drink at the bar have like Bix and Tim talk about their weekly date night. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I think it's going to be, I'm really excited to see what happens on Ferrix now that this kind of cataclysmic event, as I would describe it, has kind of happened there with the death of Tim. Number one, I think is actually going to be a big thing because I think they're going to see how far like the company goes and what they did and like this danger that they've brought into Ferrix, I think is going to be, meaningful for the people of Ferrix to react yeah to come up with a plan so that they can continue their way of life and also I kind of left this uh thought table that we were at but I also love B2 a lot and I hope he has a happy ending I made this really sad theory in our previous lost the lost episodes of Sky Talkers um that will be on Patreon but about if B2 and Marva like end up not living on Ferrix or whatever in the future, like in the far future. And Cassian tells him that he'll always come back home or something like that. And B2 just like always waits at the edge of the property for Cassian. Why did you have to bring that up again? Like, did you have to bring (laughs) it into the 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 main episode? Sad dog. And that's what I thought of like the dog waiting by the mailbox for his person (laughs) to come home. And he doesn't. And then someone has to come and tell Marva that Cassian, like, no save the galaxy no. after no. one yeah anyway i also think that b2 on a lighter note kind of reminds me of a turtle too like where his head kind of goes in and out just reminds mm. me like a turtle in a shell and i love him being this like chonky box droid yeah. it's so cute I'm looking at my chopper, like old glitter chopper Funko Pop that Caleb and I both have and I'm I'm realizing that Chopper and B2 actually have similar chunkiness yeah. in them and I think that is um it really sets them apart from like R2D2 K2 and uh, BB8. BB8 yeah just because they're, they're just very like you know, Kathleen Kennedy always talks about silhouettes, right? <laughs> and establishing a silhouette. And I feel like B2 actually has a very unique silhouette. And yeah. so does, in Chopper does too. He's just like bigger than R2-D2. You know what I mean? It's it's just interesting. Well, B2 is now in the little, what do you call that? The opening for Star Wars yeah. shows where they flash all the characters and across the name Star Wars. He's the very last yeah. one, which I thought was really exciting. But I love B2. Yeah, so I love how like Cassian is always kind of rushed with B2, but he also takes a beat to always be like, take your time on your way home. Go recharge. It's okay. Take your time. I don't know. So it's just, cute. <laughs> it's so sweet. <laughs> it's so sweet. And even, even again, this reminded me of like thinking about that complicated relationship between Marva and Cassian. Cassian tells B2 
right in that scene in season three, uh, in episode three of, you know, tell Marva I'm sorry and tell her to make sure she puts the heat on. Like those are caring things for him to say. You know how cold she gets. Yeah. Yeah. And then you even see like Marva's breath um, later on in that episode. I don't know. I just, to me, it kind of, again, thinking about their relationship and probably how heavy it is. I think that's an interesting part to include, but let's talk about our newest dumbest evil guy <laughs> it's cyril <laughs> okay so caitlin and i have a lot of a lot of <laughs> emotions and opinions about kyle kyle solar and cyril karn and his entire role okay? his name is kyle i think that caitlin and i had a really good experience talking to denisco and kyle solar in our roundtable interview and we i don't I don't know. I, by now that that's out, so you've definitely heard it, <laughs> or maybe not, but it's it's there. And we had a really good conversation with them. And I think that Cyril's character is just increasingly interesting to me because he is a character that I immediately dislike and I don't approve of any of his actions. But by at the end of episode three, you read his face and you're just really not sure what's going to happen with his character journey in the same way that I think he's a character that we're going to see for a while. Like I think he's one of the the main guys. I know we have a really long sprawling cast, but the fact that he was included in those press tour situations makes me think that we're, we're he's here for a while. And I find the ending of him in episode three very interesting because he is just caught there at the end with this huge mistake that he made. And I don't think Caitlin and I are going to dive too deep into Cyril in this episode. We probably will in the next episode because I I hope it's not too much of a spoiler to say that he is in the next episode as well. So we have a lot to say and we can't wait to dive in. (laughs) Yeah, we just want to be careful knowing that we have seen episode four. Yeah, I think that thinking about Cyril in these three episodes themselves, it's easy to see that his entire world has been rocked. He was so confident that not only was he doing the right thing, but he was going to be successful in it. And I think you see that in his look at the end of the episode of this is not at all what I thought was going to happen here. And now what? Because I think that when we meet Cyril in episode one, you know, he's presented this whole um, report to his boss about these two employees who were murdered and we should immediately jump into action. I'll have a game plan in, you know, two hours. I wanted to make sure you got it before you left, like this whole thing. And it's very clear that he's like going through the the protocol correctly, the rule book, everything that's been written down. Totally. And you can understand his point of view of like, oh, a fellow officer died, was murdered. And why doesn't my boss care? You know, yeah. on like a basic level, you're like, what is up with that? But you under also understand the boss's point of view of being like, okay, we're a separate entity from the empire and we don't want them to look into our efficacy, you know? And therefore, he's like, just sweep it under the rug. And I can understand yeah. from Cyril's point of view of being like, sweep it under the rug. What? even though I don't agree with his entire worldview. Well, yeah, it's like I don't – I'm not here for, like, the company or for yeah. Cyril <laughs> and his motivation. The overly controlling yeah, group. No, yeah, not yeah, at all. Exactly. But, yeah, I think it's funny because you can – and, like, the boss even mentions to Cyril, like, your uniform looks different. Like, have you tailored it? And Cyril's like, well, some piping and – 
and Taylor, right? Like he's gone above <laughs> and beyond to like really, you know, set himself up for success, I guess you could say. And I got to say this, this whole setting of uh, Merlana one with the company packs more. Um, I love it. It feels very like the, honestly, everything like with Ferrix and uh, the company authority, it feels very seventies to me. Like even Ferrix, like, uh, like the architecture and like layout of Ferrix, not really layout, but like the architecture itself feels very seventies to me. Like a lot of the buildings use this very long, thin brick called like a Roman brick. And you see that a lot in like seventies and like late sixties, like ranch houses and stuff like that. But anyway, it feels very seventies to me. And like the, like the machinery that they have in the company authority and like the, the computers, I guess (laughs) it feels very spacey and, yeah, it's kind of like a new, a bit of a new aesthetic, I think, for Star Wars, which sounds weird to say, but I do think that the company feels like that setting feels different, I think, from any other kind of lived-in world that we've seen in Star Wars, even though Star Wars is a product of the 70s, but hopefully that makes sense (laughs) what I'm saying but I loved this setting with those three workers that Cyril is kind of uh bossing around at the end and they're eating like Chinese takeout (laughs) and Cyril is like what are you doing get to work and they're like no one cares about Canari. What do you want from us? And he's like, get it done and set up a desk for me <laughs> right here. <laughs> and I don't know. I just thought that whole group was kind it was of great. Was kind of funny. <laughs> and I would love to see like a little like little web shorts of them having to work for the company authority, just like with their takeout of blue noodles. <laughs> and I just thought they were really funny. And I they are there, but yeah, I think that it's interesting to me that of Cyril as a character who, right, we're introduced to him as someone who is so concerned with process and protocol and like doing the the right thing by the company standards, but then does this huge, um, like secret mission once his boss leaves town, and not only that, but it fails so epically, and you kind of, I don't know, at the end of that, of that third episode, I was thinking about, you know, how he was so aghast at what his boss was saying of, you know, they, those two guys met with the wrong people and it's unfortunate. We'll make sure they're remembered as heroes, even though that's probably not what happens. And now many more people have died and Cyril has disrupted, damaged potentially this relationship between, the company and Ferrex. And yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to see where he goes and um, the conversations that Kyle and Denise had in the round tables were especially interesting because it sounds like they meet up in the future. And anyway, like I said, I don't want to go too much into Cyril, but we have a lot of thoughts about him and where he's going to next. So definitely tune in next week for our episode when I think we can talk a little bit more in depth about Cyril. Yeah. I feel like we've run the gambit of these three episodes. I loved all of them. I think that Disney made an amazing choice to release all three. I cannot wait to hear the discussion about what other people think. But I don't know. Do you have anything else to add to our discussion? Yeah. I'm so, I love this series so much already. And I think that 
I think it's really good. <laughs> and I'm so excited to for all of you to see it and to hear discussions about it. And yeah, like Charlotte said, I think the choice to do episodes one, two, and three all together was absolutely the right choice. And yeah, if you haven't listened to our roundtable, particularly the roundtable interviews, definitely encourage you to. Very much like Tony Gilroy, I feel like all of the cast were obviously not giving spoilers right but we're pretty forthcoming about like their characters and their characters intentions and motivations and stuff like that um definitely like I think some of the best like roundtable interviews that we've been able to be a part of as far as like the the cast really taking their time with questions and answers and Genevieve for instance her answers were so well thought out um Definitely, definitely go and give it a listen if you haven't yet. I think, yeah, just hearing from the cast and creators for this show has just really aided, I think, in our enjoyment for this show so far. They've just, mm-hmm. I don't know, they've they've really like enhanced, I think, our viewing of the series so far. And I'm really, really excited for the next couple of episodes and the series as a whole. And And yeah, I feel like they're probably, you know, started filming production something on season two already especially by the time you're listening to this so who knows what else will have come out about and or season two so so excited yeah yeah i i think that Andor could be one of the best things lucasfilm has done yeah and i i feel i'm so impressed by the show and i feel like i've been waiting for star wars tv to it's not that i didn't love the other shows you know i do Okay, you know I do, but I think I'd been waiting for Star Wars TV to reach these kind of heights, and I think we're there. feels very British, feels <laughs> like very <laughs> clearly filmed in the UK, and I just, I don't, I'm just really impressed with it. The character work, everything, I feel like it will provide discussions for us to come, and I can't wait to return to the series again and again and again I I think this is like an A plus I cannot wait to talk about it with other people <laughs> so excited <laughs> yeah I just like I can't wait and I think that this series is really going to continue to blow us away because I was blown away by these three episodes what an amazing place to start yeah it really is I'm super pumped frankly I'm over talking to Charlotte about it I'm ready to talk to other people <laughs> I know that's how I feel too I just I want other people's opinions so <laughs> but I hope you guys enjoyed uh this episode I know it was a lot a lot of like recap of our life and everything and then also kind of like re-diving into these episodes for the podcast so I hope you guys enjoyed it and like we've been saying if you are interested in kind of our like very first reactions kind of split up between uh, episodes one, two, and three. Uh, Those will be uploaded onto our Patreon for our $3 tier and up. So an option if you are interested in those. But I think that is going to wrap up our show. I hope you guys enjoyed it. If you want to talk to us about Andor, please come and talk to us about Andor on Twitter at SkytalkersPod or our personal handles. Charlotte's is at Clarity and mine is at Caitlin Plusher. We also have our website, SkyTalkers.com. Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok, all great places to find us. And you can also email us to Caitlin at skytalkers.com or Charlotte at skytalkers.com. 
it all goes to the same inbox, truth be told. So <laughs> you'll find out both of us. Or hello at skytalkers.com. Yes. If you don't want to choose. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hello at skydoggers.com. That's probably your best bet. I've said too much. So many email addresses. But uh, if you've left us a review yet recently on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, thank you so, so much. We really do appreciate you taking the time to do that. And if you haven't and would like to, we would love that too. So thank you in advance. And as we said, if you're interested in other ways to support us, you can head on over to our Patreon and check out our different reward tiers there. And I want to say a huge thank you to these patrons, Sarah, Dylan, Aaron, Hunter, Allison, Timothy, Ashley, Josh, Brandon, Miss Art, Rebuild, Eunice, Matt, Debo, Marty, Jacqueline, John, Ian, Lakshana, Mike, Thomas, Daniel, Bridget, and Brad. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yes, thank you guys so much. And until next time, may the force be with you. May the force be with you. Thank you.